Well, greetings to our brethren around the world, and greetings to Mr. and Mrs. Meredith also, and our headquarters congregation from Anderson, South Carolina. My wife and I appreciated the warmth, the hospitality, and the enthusiasm of our Anderson brethren last Sabbath. Welcome to our guests and visitors today. Uh, you are invited to the spaghetti dinner after services today and, of course, the annual feast review, as Mr. Meredith was mentioning in the announcements. Some feast-goers are going to be uh, sharing their experiences with us. And, of course, as the weather is clear later tonight, we'll also see a lunar eclipse uh, between 6.30 and 10.30 p.m. Uh, the total eclipse will take place tonight between 8.07 and 8.30. And shortly after 8, the moon could appear with an orange, yellow, brown, or deep red color and if it's deep red, it can remind us of Revelation 6.10, when the moon becomes as blood. I've seen the moon with that color one time over the Atlantic Ocean when it was rising, and it was chilling. Speaking about chilling, the temperature prediction for tonight is 37 degrees here in Charlotte. But Mr. Carl McNair in Montana, with whom I talked two days ago, reported that he and his wife were experiencing in Montana 20 degrees below zero. And that was just right after Charlotte set a record high temperature of 81 degrees, an all-time record, a difference of 101 degrees. Can you believe that? But this morning at 7 o'clock, the Montana temperature was up 8 to 8 degrees above zero. It's a definite warming trend. <laughs> well, we are enjoying warm fellowship before and after services, and we will this evening with our feast review and spaghetti dinner. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, Hebrews 10. God puts a great deal of emphasis on fellowship and on our loving one another and our interaction. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and actually this is quite important because it appears right before the warning of the unpardonable sin, verses 26 on through 30. Or 31. But here in Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You provoke one another unto love and good works by being loving and setting a good example. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. So God encourages us to always have that fellowship, to not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as some do. And it's sad to see that there are those who call themselves independents who are forsaking fellowship with the larger body of Christ. Let's turn to 1 John 1 and verse 7. Again, a very inspiring exhortation here, or actually a fact, 1 John 1 and verse 7. We have a requirement to live the way of truth and light, and so he tells us in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. God has called us to be a family, and to have that fellowship one with another is a 
tremendous privilege during the Feast of Tabernacles. It just seemed that wherever we went, in Panama City or Myrtle Beach or in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at each of those three feast sites, the brethren were just family. They were just warm, friendly, loving. And it was an inspiring Feast of Tabernacles, at least for my wife and me, and I reports from all over the world, uh, the same is true. But God has called us to be a part of His royal family as kings and priests and as judges. And we know that God is love, as it tells us in 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16. And He's now teaching us how to be like Him. He's given us the two great commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. But He also gave us another commandment to love our enemies in Matthew 5.44. Then He gave us this other commandment in John 15. Let's take a look at it. John 15. Mr. Bryce's sermon some time ago on our relationship to Christ emphasized the relationship as Jesus brings out here that if we obey Him, we are His friends. John 15 starting with verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. So you keep, you abide in love by obedience to God's way of life. He said this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, tells us in 1 John 5, 3. So Jesus is speaking this the night before He's crucified, to his disciples, he says in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment. Why is it the world doesn't like commandments? They take that as something that impinges or imposes upon their independence for some reason. But God's commandments are love. And he says... This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, they had not had, that is, God's people over the ages had not had the example of Jesus Christ. So he says, as I have loved you. We'll be seeing in the sermon some of the examples of how Jesus himself did love his disciples. Those three words, love one another, are living truths and a living way of life and a profound characteristic that each converted Christian must live and must have as a part of his or her nature. Those are three powerful words that should be a part of our character, our heart, our mind, and our nature. But how do we love one another? He goes on to say in verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I think about that sometimes when someone calls me and I'm involved in my own personal project, and I said, oh, no, I don't want to be bothered with this phone call, when it's someone who's a friend or some church member and realize, look, you're to lay down your time and your life for this person. That's much more important than your little project that you're working with, however enjoyable or fulfilling it may be. That is a supreme command of God, a supreme command, not the only one. 
Well, Jesus did share his life. Let's turn to Mark, the sixth chapter. So how did Jesus love his disciples? He shared his life. He shared his time. He lived the commandment that he gave his disciples. Mark 6 and verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come you yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. In other words, Jesus was sharing his life with the crowds that came, with his disciples. For there were many coming and going. They had no leisure so much as to eat. Christ was sharing his life and his time so much with others, he didn't even have time to eat and his disciples. And so he said, look, we need some private time here. So they departed in the ship to go to another part around the lake. And what happened? The people knew where they were going, apparently, and they outran them. They went on foot and beat the disciples to the place where Jesus and the disciples docked their boat. And so Jesus, again, served them. He spent time with them. It was getting evening and it was getting dark. And they said, uh, the disciples said to Jesus, verse 36, send them away. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said, what can we give them? We only have, um, you know, a little five loaves of bread and two fishes. And so they all sat down in ranks and 5,000 men and others, verse 44, were served. So Jesus did spend his time. He shared his life with others. Another example here is in John, the fourth chapter, John 4. Jesus was in Samaria, and you know the story of the woman at the well. And she was just shocked and amazed that he as a Jew would be talking to a woman who was a Samaritan. Well, of course, he told about her life, and she went back into the city and the community and told all the other neighbors, hey, I found someone here who knows all about my life. Come out and see him. And, uh, of course, John 4, starting with verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he should stay with them, and he stayed, and he stayed there, or abode there, two days. So Christ was willing to share his life, to spend his time, to take extra days to be with the Samaritans who wanted his time, who wanted to hear from him. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of your saying, but we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is a, a very important verse, and you should circle and note the fact that here are the Samaritans who realize he's the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world. But the point is, brethren, is that Jesus was willing to share his life with the Samaritans and take a couple extra days. Acts, the first chapter. One more example of how Jesus shared his life and spent time with lowly human beings. Acts 1, 
verse 1. Here Luke, the author of Acts, is writing, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments, again commandments to the church, unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive and his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Even after his resurrection, Jesus loved his disciples, trained them further, spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God, spent 40 more days with the disciples. We have an example here that we need to follow in terms of sharing our life. So Jesus commanded us to love one another, and again, how do we accomplish that? One of the most important ways is to follow Jesus' example. And that example is that he shared his life with others. We need to share our lives with others. And that's the title of the sermon, Share Your Life. Now, as we share our lives, as we share our faith, as we give to others in this life, remember that we will be sharing our lives with human beings throughout the millennium and with God's royal family for all eternity. In Mystery of the Ages, written by Herbert W. Armstrong, under the section God's Nature and Character, he wrote the following, quote, Most important of all, however, is, and he asked the question, what is God's nature, his character like? One cannot know what God is unless we know what his character is. The character of both God the Father and Christ the Son is that of spiritual holiness, righteousness, and absolute perfection. He continues to write, That character might be summed up in the one word love, defined as an outflowing, loving concern. It is the way of giving, serving, helping, sharing, not the get way. It is the way devoid of coveting, lust and greed, vanity and selfishness, competition, how many of us are involved with competition of one sort or another, strife, violence and destruction, envy and jealousy, resentment and bitterness. End of quote. Again, one of the key qualities of God's divine nature is sharing. How can we more effectively share our lives? There are three principles that I want to share with you. And uh, the third principle will concentrate on the application of sharing, but the first two are very important as well. Principle number one is, and uh, some of you need to learn this, learn to like people. Turn to Philippians 1, Philippians the second chapter. As I know in some of you are laughing, because so I know what's going through your mind right now. You're thinking of some people you don't like. <laughs> and, uh, of course, there's a difference between like and love. We know that. But he tells us here in Philippians 2, verse 1, If there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, 
fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That's human nature. But in lowliness or humbleness of mind, let each esteem or value other better than themselves. Now, that might be a little difficult for some, particularly those who are egotistical, those who are in positions of power or prestige, and they would find, how can this this person here, this lowly person out in the street, how can I esteem that person better than myself? Well, because God sent Jesus Christ to shed his blood for that person on the street. And God the Father valued that person, every single human being, so much that he shared or spent the blood of Christ, or Christ was willing to share his blood, spare his blood. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, value other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but on every man on the things or the interests of others. Be concerned with our brethren's and our friends and our family's needs. Be concerned with their particular interests. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Yes, I know we can think of all kinds of personalities. I was reading a book recently. I just off the top of my head remember ten major mistakes of uh, managers. And one of them was, uh, let, the, let the maverick uh, be able to produce. In other words, there may be someone in your organization that uh, is not the normal mainline kind of personality, but he may have some talents and abilities that are outside the box and may be beneficial. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 4, charity suffers long, or love is patient and is kind. So if God is looking at every single human being, and we need to be patient and kind to all human beings... As it says in the NRSV, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we must be patient with others who may have different personalities and different idiosyncrasies, as if we had none ourselves. From the book, How to Live 365 Days a Year, by Schindler, pages 105-106. You know, Dr. Schindler is one who, many years ago, introduced the whole idea of EII, Emotionally Induced Illness, that illness is not only from physical sources, but it can be emotionally emotionally induced. In his heading here, he says in his book, Like people enjoying the human enterprise. Quote, Some people dislike everybody. It is surprising in meeting people with EII, emotionally induced illness, how many people there are in the world who dislike practically everyone, from the president whom they have never met, to their next-door neighbor, whom they wish they had never met. (laughs) They have nothing complimentary to say about a single soul, 
that are very derogatory toward everyone. Their immaturity has isolated them in a shell, yet they have to live in a world of people. The extent of their cooperation in the affairs of people consists in getting what they require out of society. In other words, they'll only cooperate in order to get what they want. Then uh, Dr. Schindler gives an example of one of his patients, a man who was a superintendent of a manufacturing company with 6,000 employees. He had a sickness. He was a weakness. He was trembling. He had dizziness and vomiting. And that occurred whenever he would go to his office, which he shared with another assistant manager. So he writes, quote, The root of his trouble was that he didn't like the other assistant manager who occupied the same office with him. He said, quote, The first time I saw him, I didn't like him. I didn't like the way he combed his hair. I didn't like the way he whistled through his teeth and the way he always started every sentence with the word listen and then ended every paragraph with the word don't you know. <laughs> On questioning him further, I learned that he had never liked anyone. He hadn't liked his father, his mother, his brothers, and his sisters. He couldn't say he cared for his wife. In short, he never liked anyone. He was surprised, a surprised man to find that he recovered from his illness when he began to suggest to himself the things he could find likable about the man he had to work with, to assure himself that this man had likable qualities. That's a big breakthrough to assure himself that there might be some likable qualities about this individual, and to take the trouble to cultivate him and take him out for a round of beers. Well, I don't know that we would suggest that for everyone. <laughs> But nonetheless, he recovered from his illness. Do some of us have that kind of problem where someone aggravates us so much that we just say we don't like this person, we can't find any good qualities about him or her? Charity suffers long and is kind and seeks not her own. It is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So, principle number one is that we need to learn to like people. Most people you're acquainted with now, will you will probably interact with in the future. Friends at school, in your workplace, you will interact with sometime in the future. They might join you in God's kingdom as a part of of the first resurrection, or they might be human student subjects of yours if they live on into the millennium as you're a glorified, immortalized king and a priest in the God family, and you're teaching this person whom you've met, they will remember you, or they may need your help in the white throne judgment. So just realize, it's hard to realize, that some people with whom we're acquainted now that we will interact with in the future. We tend to forget that we have a responsibility to set a good example. At that time, when we interact with them again, they will recall your attitude and your behaviors toward that individual. So it's important that our witness, our love, our sharing, our caring, our giving in this age may result in their future conversion. So principle number one is learn to like people. And if you're going to follow Christ's example of sharing his life, 
Find out something good about another person and tell others about their good traits. Principle number two is to learn to respect people. We talked about liking people. Now we're talking about learning to respect people for their human potential. God, again, loves every human being, and every person on earth has that potential of being born as an immortalized, glorified child of God at the resurrection. When you think again of a drunkard, an obnoxious person you might know, of a street person, we don't condone their sins. We don't condone their behaviors if they're illicit, wrong. But we understand also that we were enemies of God at one time. It says in Romans 5.10, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So respect the potential of every human being. I won't turn there, but 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved. God's purpose, his desire is to have all men to be saved. All men are not going to be saved because they will not accept God's invitation to be saved. And then 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is willing that all should come to repentance. So that's God's purpose. That's his will for human beings if they will accept his will. But we need to show respect. Romans, the 13th chapter, Romans 13, shows that we do have a responsibility as citizens in the community, as citizens of our nation, our country. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute or taxes to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, that is, revenue, fear to whom fear or respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Turn back to James, the third chapter. So we see very clearly that God gives us an admonition to give respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. James, the third chapter. And that we are to recognize that every human being is made in the image of God. James 3, verse 8, speaking about the tongue. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therefore we bless God even the Father, and therewith, with this tongue, with our communication, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought now so to be. So let's understand again that God has created every human being in his own image. And we need to make sure we respect the potential of every individual. We don't respect sin, sinful behavior but we respect the potential of every human being to be born into the family of God. So principle number two, in learning to share your life, apply principle number two, learn to respect people for their human potential. And we're even now trying to help people into the kingdom of God as we preach the gospel. Esteem others better than yourself. 
realize that the person with whom you're communicating or having a relationship will now or in the future have the opportunity to be a born-again spirit being in the kingdom of God. Principle number three is continually have the attitude of giving and sharing. Now, most of us have that, but how continuous do we have that? Luke, the sixth chapter, and verse 38. Luke 6 and verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, this is one of God's unseen spiritual laws. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have proven that this is a living law? How many of you have given generously, as and sometimes my wife and I have, and to a fault, and wondering, oh dear, I you know we're kind of lacking here, and gave too much, and then all of a sudden, the windows of heaven open up, and here's blessing after blessing. How many, don't raise your hands again, how many of you have experienced that living law? When you've given, God promises he's going to give back to you full measure. Just like ice cream, you know, when we old hand pack the ice cream. You know, you wanted to make sure they really put that, pack that ice cream into that, that pint box really full. And uh, maybe they would still have a crown on it, so when they put the cap over it, you really had a full pint more of ice cream. Well, God says he's going to give you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over. That's a living law. Acts 20.35, you all know that one, and you all have that well marked in your Bible, most likely. Acts 20.35, again, Paul is speaking to the Ephesus elders before he leaves, and he uh, says to them, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. So we support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I like the Moffat translation, which is, to give is happier than to get. In a book called uh, Wake Up Your Mind by Alex Osborne, he writes this, Those who give of themselves grow more attractive. There is no beautifier like the wish to scatter joy, wrote William Driver. And he quotes uh, James, or gives credit to James M. Barry as one of the axioms most of you are familiar with. And James M. Barry likewise held that benefaction makes us radiant. Quote, those who bring sunshine to the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. So again, we need to have that attitude of continually giving and sharing. As Mr. Gill brought out in the sermonette, you cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you. That was Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 1. So now in the remainder of the sermon, I want to give you several ways. I won't give you the number because I may not have time to give you all, all ten of them. Um, <laughs> but on how to share your life. Number, 
Shall I, I guess I'll go ahead and enumerate them for your note-taking benefit. Uh, John 15:13. We, we already, I guess we did not read that, but uh, yes, we did. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Number one is give of your time. We already commented on the matter that your time is your life. You lay down your life, you're laying down your time. When I was a student at Ambassador College back in the uh, 60s, I tried to, from time to time, uh, apply the principle of sharing an activity. In other words, take someone with you is the principle. When I would go jogging, I would call up the women's dorm and call around, see if I could find a girl to go jogging with me. What were you thinking? I wasn't, you thinking that was selfish? No, no, no. (laughs) You're misreading my motives? No, I was sharing my life. And uh, so anyway, that was sisterly uh, love or brotherly love, as the case may be. And I really enjoyed doing that. And one time my wife and I were house hunting, and uh, I think that was some years ago. And I said, well, there's uh, Mrs. So-and-so, a widow down the street. Let's ask her to come join us. So we took her, and she enjoyed going with us as we were house hunting. So think about sharing your life when you have an activity, give of your time, whether you're visiting a museum, going shopping, going walking, take someone with you or offer to take someone with you. The latest uh, American Democratic uh, Demographics magazine, uh, November 2003, has a uh, feature on a place for one. America's hottest household trend is solitary living, how the growing number of single-person homes affects business and culture. Uh, Back, I'll just skip to uh, the uh, stats here. Uh, 29 million Americans live alone, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. 87% is the increase in the number of people who lived alone in the last two decades. Uh, Eight million women over age 65 live alone. Eighty percent of women over 65 who live alone are widows. And I have many, many different statistics here. I won't share all of them uh, with you. But 29 million Americans in the United States live alone. And that is a problem with singles oftentimes is the matter of loneliness. How do you solve that problem? Well, you share your life. And if you're going on an activity or you try to at least organize group activities, as uh, Mr. Carl Ponder, who is the festival coordinator down in Panama City at our singles luncheon, said, well, look, how many of you, he tried to encourage some of you to get together an activity, invited people to come up, singles, and and, uh, suggest uh, some activities. One young lady suggested that uh, they go scuba diving. She was going to organize a scuba diving expedition. Uh, Others were going to go whale watching. So, again, you can organize activities so you can share your time, share your life. Number one, how to share your life, give of your time. Take someone with you. Number two, share your talents. Some of you say, well, I don't have any talents. Well, you can, uh, most of you can talk. Uh, So most of you can walk. Ambassador College used to have an outreach program. Uh, they would visit uh, hospitals, convalescent homes, 
uh, sometimes uh, just to converse and just to meet with people. Uh, other times it was to share their musical talents. Uh, Mrs. Patricia Scarborough, as a widow in Kansas City, sings regularly at hospitals and retirement homes and convalescent homes, and sang at our senior citizens' luncheon down in Myrtle Beach. So share your talents. Encourage others. You know, my wife and others, uh, back when they were back in Pasadena, would go out and uh, do the same thing, to uh, give a musical treat to others. Uh, Mrs. Scarborough, by the way, was saying, we were talking about it, uh, was saying that some people with Alzheimer's, for example, even though they cannot communicate in a normal fashion, yet when you start singing some of the golden oldies, they still remember, and they can sing along with it. So she is serving and helping. Share your talents is another way to share your life. Share your conversation. Turn to Malachi, the third chapter. Now, some of us think that maybe some share their conversation too much. Uh, we understand that, and there's a, a balance. Malachi, the third chapter, and verse 15. Uh, well, starting with verse uh, 16. Then they that feared the Eternal spoke often one to another, and the Eternal hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Eternal and that thought upon his name. Of course, when you follow the outline prayer, our Father who's in heaven... You think of all the names and titles and attributes of God, that he's the creator, the lawgiver. He's the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And thought upon his name, that they shall be mine, says the eternal of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves not. So they were ones who spoke often one to another. Verse 16, share your conversation. Mr. Meredith calls members and ministers sometimes in the evening and weekends, um, in addition, of course, to his office time of writing and television and um, administering. So call an old-time friend. Reach out to someone, an old relative or someone, a friend that you've not communicated with in a long time. I've given you my personal examples before about uh, recently calling an old friend back in Connecticut. So share your conversation. Number three. Number four, share your physical goods with others. First John, the third chapter. First John, the third chapter. And again, this gets right to the heart and core of Christianity, of who and what we are, because he says in verse 16 of 1 John 3, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, if you were to write this moment off the top of your head, give an evaluation on a scale of 1 to 100 on selfishness, how would you rate your selfishness versus giving? Would you say that you're 30% selfish or 50% selfish or 80% selfish? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good, verse 17, and see his brother have need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? 
So God is saying here, you need to have compassion, and you need to be willing to show that compassion by giving of your physical goods to those who are in need. Have you given to any of our poor brethren? The church does have a welfare fund. It's a third tithe fund to help widows and the poor in the church. And I don't know what the statistics are, but I know there are hundreds that the church is helping because of your help, your contributions, your tithing to follow God's commandments to help those who are poor in the church. But there are, you can go above and beyond that, of course, as well. And that is when you see your brother have need, you help him out. In Proverbs 19.17, let's turn back there. Of course, that does not release anyone who is of working caliber to find a job and uh, get on the ball. Of course, it's God says in Titus or Timothy that he is, does not support his family is worse than an unbeliever. So we need to, again, do our part. Of course, there are times of unemployment, and we've experienced quite a bit here in the last several months around uh, the United States. The job uh, uh, production seems to be improving here slightly recently. Proverbs 19.17 He that has pity upon the poor lends unto the eternal, and that which he has given will he pay him again. So if you give to the poor, it's like lending money to God. And God says, whatever you've given, God is going to give back to you. He doesn't say how or when, but it's like giving or loaning money to God uh, when you have pity on the poor. So share in giving your physical goods. I remember, again, I've told you this example before, looking back at the Shakespeare Club around 19. 62, 63, when the Pasadena church was meeting there. And it was theater style, and each seat had um, armrests. And it was a Bible study one night, and about a couple rows, no, it was the row right in front of me, as I recall, uh, where two, it was a family with several children. And I would just guess the boy must have been about three or four, just a little tot, and his sister probably around six or seven or eight. And the boy was just, you know, dozing and dozing. And, and the sister, and this is a, a remarkable thing to me. I still remember it to this day. The sister, about seven or eight years of age, took off her sweater she had on. She neatly put it into, arranged it into a pillow. And she put it on that armrest and gently put her brother's head on that, that sweater. I mean, she was way ahead of us. I mean, in some some cases, she was thinking. She was sharing her physical goods with others, but, of course, she had a concern for her brother as well. The Corinthian church, as a church, was giving and sharing. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 2 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 11. He says, Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. He goes on to say here in uh, verse 13, While by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ, for your liberal distribution or your liberal sharing unto them and unto all men, 
and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. So, again, the Apostle Paul is commending them for their liberal sharing, their liberal distribution. So, the fourth way of sharing is to share your physical goods with others. Number five is share your home. Mr. Gill, in a sermonette, mentioned the warm hospitality of the Irish brethren. I remember back as the uh, as a freshman in Ambassador College when uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong invited the whole freshman class, I think there were about 90 of us, uh, to his home. Uh, some did not get the message. There was some misunderstanding. And so he ended up with, I think, about 30 of us going over to his home on Hill Street or Hill Avenue, whichever it was. And in those days, back around 1962, 1963, stereo systems were just uh, starting to upgrade, and, and he wanted to show the stereo system to us. And so uh, we enjoyed hearing part probably of the, some of the Messiah or the Elijah. And uh, while we were there, uh, one of the students said, well, Mr. Armstrong, um, we understand you play the piano. Could you please play the piano for us? I said, oh, no, no, I, I don't play the piano. And then another student said, well, Mr. Armstrong, would you, could you please play the piano for us? No, I, I don't think so. And then Mrs. Armstrong said, Herbert, will you please play the piano for those students? <laughs> so he sat down and he played. Oh, it's just, just lovely. But I, I always remember uh, Mr. Armstrong's hospitality to us lowly freshman students there. And, of course, Mr. Meredith uh, has set a very good example, he and his wife, in hospitality. They, even when the Living Church of God first began in San Diego, all the employees that we had at the time came over to their home for meeting, and we would have a dessert night. And uh, we certainly appreciate their hospitality. First Peter, the fourth chapter, if you'll turn there. First Peter 4. And uh, verse 9, the Apostle Peter says this, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. In other words, don't be reluctant to do it. Be willing to be hospitable. Be generous. So point number five, or the fifth way of sharing your life, is to share your home. Number six is to share your appreciation. Turn back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. We need to be thankful. And uh, how often it is, if you've ever given someone something and, and you've really put your heart into it, you've sacrificed, and either a gift or something else, and they don't say thank you, it, it hurts. It hurts a little bit. So be very appreciative. Share your appreciation. It says here in 1 Thessalonians 5:18, "In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." In a uh, in that wake up your mind book by uh, Osborne, or I don't know if I mentioned that before, but uh, under the section of manners, he says, "No matter how busy we are." We owe it to ourselves and to those with whom we work to make certain that courtesy is the first order of business at all times. So again, then he mentions how his daughter recently made him feel proud 
She knitted a sweater and turned it over to a woman for blocking. A woman who worked all day and for added income blocked sweaters at night. My teenager, writes uh, Mr. Osborne in his book, Wake Up Your Mind, my teenager not only paid her regular charge, but wrote a note of appreciation. That woman talked of that act of courtesy for weeks and weeks. I, uh, this is a little personal, but I debated whether to share it with you or not, but I did uh, express appreciation to my mother and wrote this poem back in January of 1995. She died at age 90 in the year 2000, in February 2000. And so uh, she had turned 85, and I wanted to honor her, and I wrote her this poem. Mom, you've been so kind to us, your generosity flows. Your courage and cheerful positiveness is something everyone knows. I might mention here, first of all, that she had had a stroke, so she couldn't communicate. Her right side was paralyzed. She could say yes or no or good morning or a few words like that. So she was handicapped. She was limited and had been that way since uh, November 9th, 1989. And this is January 1995. Mom, you've been so kind to us, your generosity flows. Your courage and cheerful positiveness is something everyone knows. I always remember, remember your rocking me when childhood fears came near. You comforted and reassured till I felt calm, secure, and clear. You've helped your husband, children, friends. You gave peace in human relations. At work, at play, in family time, you could teach the United Nations. And now you've reached a milestone great to smile at 85. Honor, joy, and peace to you. You're the greatest mom alive. I had to get through that one. <clears throat> but number six is to share your appreciation. Number seven is to share your service. In Matthew 25, uh, verses 34 through 40, I won't read that, but you're familiar with the section where Jesus said, I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And they said, well, Lord, when, when we, did, we, did we do this? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. And who is it that we think may be the least among our brethren? So if there is a time when you are reluctant to serve and help someone in need, think, what if this were Jesus Christ? What would I do? Share your service. Think of any kind deed you can perform. Visit the sick. And, of course, there's another way you can serve and children can serve, and that is helping around the house with house chores. And I know my mom uh, taught me how to do that, at least to take out the garbage and uh, do other chores. So you children, share in your service. Number eight is to share in your prayers. Let's turn to Acts, the fourth chapter, Acts 4. And some of you have told stories of your children's prayers I hope all of you parents are teaching your children to pray. As I've told you before, and even on the telecast, how my mom 
taught me to pray, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I lay awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And you kind of run some of those words together and you don't even know what they mean. But then I would conclude my prayer and say, well, bless Mommy and Daddy and uh, my sister Beverly and Aunt Helen and Deet Deet the cat. And so that was, you know, part of my prayer as a little child. And some of your prayers, I, when I think of children, uh, when they, if a child is praying for me, I know I am going to be blessed. So I hope that you're teaching your children to pray here. The apostle Peter and John had gone before the Sanhedrin and they came back and reported to the brethren what had happened. And of course he, they gave the prayer here, verse 23 of Acts 4, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God which have made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And he goes on with the whole prayer here that they would grant unto his servants, verse 29, with all boldness that they may speak the word. And as Mr. Meredith asked at the announcements, we hope that you'll certainly pray for the gospel being preached through the telecast and, of course, even through writing for that matter. By stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. My wife and I often pray together and she'll just ask me sometimes, well, let's pray about something. And uh, I know there are some couples, husbands and wives, who feel uncomfortable with that. Uh, I would hope that you would not feel uncomfortable if you're both converted and both in the church. And uh, sometimes uh, we'll kneel down together and I'll just, just be a short prayer and I'll pray for a minute or two and then I'll ask my wife to pray for a minute or two and then I'll close the prayer. And oftentimes I am deeply moved by something she may say in her prayer that I hadn't even thought about, and it was just very inspiring. If you're going to share your life, share your prayers. Now, of course, Christ says we are to be in our own closet. We understand that. But there are times when there were groups together who were praying, as we just saw here in Acts, the fourth chapter. Number eight was share your prayers. Number nine is to share one another's burdens. Turn to Galatians, the uh, sixth chapter. Galatians 6. The Apostle Paul commended the Philippians that they had shared in his distress and that they had shared in giving to him. That's in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses 10 through 17. But now he tells us in verse 1, Galatians 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, which is spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so when someone has a problem, are you willing to bear or to shoulder that burden with another person? Now, that does not mean that you share gossip and complaints about someone else's faults or weaknesses. 
Or it doesn't mean that you gossip and complain to a friend about how someone has offended you. That's not what bearing one another's burdens means. You, when you have the other kind of problem, you go to your brothers, it tells us in Matthew 18 and verse 15. And of course, he warns us very seriously about sowing discord among the brethren, which is Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. He goes on to say, For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. As I was telling the singles at one of our feast meetings, that there is the tendency, because I know I experienced that as a teenager way back when, that the very need to feel accepted in a group, the need to uh, feel esteem and value. And I, I thought at the time, you know, and if I thought this way, I know many, many others thought this way, that if I could be seen with the prettiest girl in school, I would really be something. <laughs> but, you know, that's not God's way. As he says here, you prove it with your own work. You don't get value and credit because you're with a pretty girl or maybe with a rich man if you're a woman, uh, God says, look, let every man prove his own work. You need to apply the seven laws of success and to share your life in the ways that we've been discussing here and pray that God will help you to give and to share and to serve. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. And then Paul goes on to say, Let him that is taught in the word communicate or share unto him that teaches in all good things. And this has to do with the student or the disciple supporting the ministry, as you read in other translations. So share your problems with others. This is number nine. Well, let's take a look at one other example. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8. The Apostle Paul really appreciated the church's bearing or sharing in his distress, as it said there in Philippians 4.14. You didn't turn to that, but I referred to it. 2 Timothy 1 and uh, verse 8, where he says, Be not therefore ashamed. He's giving instructions here to Timothy. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me your prisoner. But be you partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, or share in the afflictions, or share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, as it has in the New King James Version. But be you partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So we need to share and bear one another's burdens. That's number nine. Number ten is to share your faith. Turn to Philemon. Philemon is, uh, if we can all find it, hidden away, the end of the uh, epistles, Paul's epistles just before Hebrews. Philemon, uh, verse 4. I thank my God, he writes to Philemon, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of your faith, or as it is the sharing of your faith, 
may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. So again, Paul is commending Philemon here for the sharing of his faith. Let's turn back to Isaiah, the 58th chapter. Isaiah 58. Mr. Gill was mentioning the giving the encouraging move uh, news of the media growth in Australia, and that's one way we are sharing our faith. He uh, mentioned even sharing his faith in response to questions from his personal family there in the U.K. We can share our faith, and God's people are supporting the gospel. Isaiah, the 58th chapter, and starting with verse 6, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Well, brethren, we are doing that as a community, as a church, through the preaching of the gospel. Those who God calls are being freed from ignorance, being freed from sin. As Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we are collectively sharing our faith through the telecasts, through the booklets, through the publications, but we need to also do it as we have opportunity individually. So number 10 was share your faith. Let's turn to Hebrews, the second chapter, Hebrews 2. We've seen 10 different ways on sharing, sharing our lives. And we need to understand that the greatest example who came to this earth, Jesus Christ, shared his life in many ways. And, of course, one of the most profound ways was to empty himself of the glory that he had in coming to this earth. Hebrews 2, starting with verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same, or shared in the same, as the New King James uh, Version has it that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. So Jesus himself shared by coming down as a lowly human being in the human flesh. What a profound way of sharing with us. He shared humanity. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4 starting with uh, verse 15. That speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we all need to mature. But from whom the whole head fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Or in another translation, it is the effective working by which every part does its share. And that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So, brethren, God is sharing, and he wants us to be the same way. We have a great opportunity to give and to serve 
In giving the gospel, we have an opportunity to give and serve in the kingdom as kings, priests, and teachers. So learn to like people. Look for their good qualities. Learn to respect people for their God-given potential. Learn to develop the attitude of continual giving and sharing. Because God the Father and Christ share their lives with us every day. And someday we as God's family will share the universe and eternity with God and with Christ and with one another. At graduation in Ambassador College in 1965, we sang this song, which is very meaningful. I'm not going to sing it, by the way, but I'll share the words of this song. It's very meaningful, and I will conclude the sermon with this, the lyrics of this song. It's called, I May Never Pass This Way Again. The words and music by Murray Weisel and Irving Melker, arranged by Jack Andrews. I may never pass this way again. I'll give my hand to those who cannot see the sunshine or the falling rain. I'll sing my song to cheer the weary along, for I may never pass this way again. I'll share my faith with every troubled heart, so I shall not have lived in vain. I'll give my hand. I'll sing my song. I'll share my faith because I know that the time is now to fulfill each vow, for I may never pass this way again. For I may never pass this way again. Brethren, let's share our lives.